well, take your Bible and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians this morning. And we're going to be in chapter 2. Um, so we're just moving right along with this series. And, you know, when I first started this and I had this, this thought in my head about this series and as I prayed about it, I just, you know, I had this list in, in my mind and I wrote it down and about the different qualities that God might want me to talk about that should form our profile. And and I'll be honest with you, along the way, I've, I've modified it a couple of times because as I've gotten to, you know, the next thing on the list, I would sit and think about it. And Lord, is that is that really like the biggest thing I should focus on or is that really that important, you know? And, and, and the Lord would lead me to change that a little bit. And so um, and so we're moving right along. We have one more week after today and then we'll move on to something else. But I just I hope that it's been this journey of not just like, you know, okay, yeah, I, I understand that and I agree with it, but something about it has maybe influenced a change. I know it has for me. Um, it probably always does for me because I'm the one that sits there and studies it for days um, before I preach it. But I hope that maybe you've benefited from that in that way so that you, you know, notice some things about you, yourself, your behavior, your practice of Christianity that might need to change or can stand to change. Um, you know, the whole point of this sermon series and what prompted it in the very beginning as I prayed and asked the Lord to, to guide me was, you know, how is Christianity represented in this world? And, and as you look at it and you have conversations with people, you realize it's not always very positive, right? And there are a lot of, of, of things that, negative things that people think about Christianity, about Christian people, about churches, or assumptions that they make based on bad experiences with people. Who have been who, who have been known as Christians, right? And and so I know that I, I talk a lot about the things that we should not do and we shouldn't be, and I don't want to ever make it seem like I think you all are guilty of those things, right? Um, like I'm just like throwing stuff at you and saying shame on you and you shouldn't be this way anymore. But I think we can all agree that in general, especially in our country and our society, um, a lot of Christians have done a lot of damage, right? And and that doesn't help the cause of Christ. And that's the primary focus, is that we're here um, not just to like have our little holy huddle and then go home, right? Um, like on Sundays, but and even just as a church, we're not here just to like for us to grow as Christians and then be done with it and then ignore everyone else, right? Like like the purpose, one of the purposes of our Christianity is, is to be others focused as well. And, and how can God use us to reach other people? And, and I don't know about you, but it's, it has become harder to reach people with the word of God or with the gospel, right? And a lot of it does come from people's experiences or their assumptions or the conclusions that they've reached about our faith. Um, and it's not just Christianity, you know? Every religion ha can have negative uh, perceptions of, of that religion, right? I think, about, uh, I think about Islam, for example, and like, you know, a lot of, a lot of its followers um, consider their religion to be a religion of peace, right? But then it only takes a few people who go to the extreme and ruin that image for everyone else, right? And, and so on, and the same principle takes place within Christianity. We may see ourselves, as we look in the mirror, we may see ourselves as godly, loving, genuine Christ followers, like we ought to be, but it only takes a handful of us to ruin the picture for everyone else, right? And, and then that also is not to say that we haven't, at some point in our lives, been maybe a little bit guilty of doing it wrong, right? And not doing a very good job of representing Christ. And so when we are convicted about those things, we need to confess that, 
and repent of that, right? And so this whole, this whole journey has been about showing us where we sometimes go wrong. And when I say re, we, it's the big we. And where we can focus on changing and being how God wants us to be, right? And so we've talked a lot, we've covered a lot of ground, talked a lot about the different qualities that should form our profile. And so today we're going to be on number six, and that is abundantly gracious, okay? And, and so this one is one that right off the bat was, was not ever one that I struggled with believing should be a part of this series. From the very beginning, I knew this has to be one of the most important ones. Now, last Sunday, we talked about being genuinely loving, right? And I told you, I think that's probably the most important one out of all of them, because if you don't have that, none of the others matter. This one will probably be number two. So besides being genuinely loving and, and not tangibly, visibly showing people that you love them, not just saying you love them, but doing things to make sacrifices and, and show people that you love them. Besides being that way, being abundantly gracious says a lot. It speaks volumes about the level of authenticity in our faith, right? Because we can be, we can, we can seem like good, strong Christians who go to church every Sunday and read our Bibles and we do Bible study after Bible study and we, I mean, and, and we do all the right things, right? But if our hearts towards each other are not full of grace, then how can we expect our hearts towards outsiders to be full of grace? And if there's no grace flowing out of us, then how is that ever going to be attractive to the world? Right? Because you and I all know people um, who, for whatever reason, feel like they're not worthy of God or of our faith or of a church or of us. Right? because of their mistakes, their failures, their shortcomings, their constant struggles and battles, right? And so we all know people in our lives right now, you can probably think of someone who you think they just need to know the truth about grace, right? They need to know that grace exists, that there is forgiveness and mercy and kindness and love that, that, that covers everything, right? Not that we say, oh, it doesn't matter, and it's no big deal, and, and none of that is important, but there's grace to cover sin, and there's grace to cover mistakes and failures and shortcomings and struggles and battles. And so we have to receive that first for ourselves, and we have to extend it within the body to each other, and then that enables us to extend it outward to other people, and that becomes more attractive and pulls people towards Jesus. And that's our focus today um, for this series. And so we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, so in my, own, uh, in my own quiet time, my own private reading, uh, every morning I would sit out in my backyard with my coffee and I was reading through 1 Corinthians and, and I, I mentioned that a couple weeks ago when we had this one little impromptu meeting about how, how pastoral Paul sounds in 1 Corinthians, right? Like he's pretty harsh and he's like calling them out on stuff and things like that. And then I got into 2 Corinthians and realized like the, just the, the huge change in his tone from being like, harsh and and pastoral and like you need to get this right and stop doing this to now being like i wish that i could go see you and i love you and i just pray for you and like this huge shift in his tone and then i came upon chapter two and realized that the reason for that is because paul not only believes in or believed in the responsibility of addressing sin that's important right but paul also believed in the value of forgiving and restoring and helping people to overcome their sin in order to become close to Christ again. And that's where grace comes in. And so that's what we're focusing on today. 
is how can we not ignore sin, not like downplay sin and, and say, oh, it's not a big deal and we can just overlook everything. How can we still have this responsibility to address it and deal with it and talk about it and even call it out in each other if it, if it needs to come to that, but also along with that, show grace and seek to help people to come back to Christ, right? And so that's what we're going to be talking about when it comes to being abundantly gracious today. So our text is there for you. Here's our one sentence takeaway. I've given you one of these every week. I can uh, print these out if you have missed some. Um, I have to make a confession to you. This is a foolish uh, technology, like dummy mistake for me. I recorded all the sermons and, and then forgot to post them on the podcast, except for like two. And so I had them stored on my phone and then uh, my phone was filling up with, with storage, like my storage was filling up. And so I had to go delete things. And so I went to the went to the list and deleted things that I thought were the oldest and they ended up being the newest and so I deleted two of the sermons and can't post them on the podcast and so they're gone forever except that they will reside in your hearts and in your minds and on paper and if you want copies of them you can have them on paper so anyway keep this in mind so here's what we mean by being abundantly gracious it means seeking to forgive and restore that's our first key thought we've gone from key words to now key thought um, seeking to forgive and restore people when they fall into sin and bearing with each other with love and patience. So twofold definition of being abundantly gracious. We'll see the first one primarily in this passage in 2 Corinthians, and then we'll look at some other scriptures to see the other one fleshed out for us. And so by the end of my talk today, my hope is that you'll be compelled um, to start showing more grace to each other, um, and extending grace, the grace of God, to those around us who are maybe struggling with sin or falling away from Christ or need to be told and reminded that God loves them and God can forgive them and restore them and heal them. So let me read our scripture and then I'll pray for us this morning. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Here's what Paul says. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for your word and for what it has taught us so far through this journey, Lord. Thank you for showing us what qualities and characteristics and traits we should be adopting and living by and practicing on a regular basis in order to show true, authentic, genuine Christianity, Lord. I pray that you would challenge us and maybe convict us today and just show us some needs of uh, some areas of growth, Lord, where we need to just turn to you in humility and, and admit that we're struggling with things. Help us to be a more gracious people, Lord, um, to be able to paint this picture within the body of Christ of abundant grace, Father, and, and how that can impact people's lives. We thank you again for this time. As we continue in this, I pray that our hearts would still be focused on worshiping you and give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you were to go back and read 1 Corinthians, the first letter that Paul wrote to this group of Christians, you would realize why Paul felt the need to be so pastoral and stern with those people. And if you haven't read it, 
I'm going to tell you. It's because a lot of the people in the Corinthian church were not living right. And so a few weeks ago we talked about, uh, I think it was quality number four maybe, about living right, being holy. And we talked about First Peter and how he says you need to be holy because God is holy. And, and that is one thing that was lacking in the Corinthian church at this time. And so while there were some people who were trying to stay faithful to God and serve him and do the right things, there were a lot of issues that Paul was writing to address. Not only were they doing things like they were abusing the Lord's Supper and they were taking it incorrectly and Paul had to, to correct them on that and kind of address that whole issue and, and give them some teaching on those things, but there were some big things too. There was a lot of sexual immorality within the church. There were people sleeping with each other and sleeping with their step-parents and I mean all sorts of different things going on. And Paul heard about this and he said, this can't happen. Like you are the body of Christ. You are God's people. You should be different. This has to stop happening. And so Paul laid it out for them and said, here's how you're supposed to be. You shouldn't be joining yourself to these people. You shouldn't be joining yourself to prostitutes or doing these things. You should be holy and you should be pure and you should be submitting yourselves to Christ. And, and all these things should not be happening. And so, so as he went through that, as you look back on that, there, there, what, what we see happening is that there were probably a handful of people or maybe a couple of people in particular who Paul was thinking of as he wrote that. And he had heard their stories and said, you know, I heard about this man who's doing this or this man who's doing that. And as he wrote this letter in 1 Corinthians, he was thinking about those particular situations. And it's that very same situation that he's referring to here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that we just read here in our passage. Okay, so Paul is referring back to what he wrote in 1 Corinthians. And here's what he says again. He says, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. Okay? So here's what he's saying. Those people, that, that couple, that family, that, that handful of people in your church who had been guilty of all these transgressions and were dragging the name of Christ through the mud and were living these unholy, profane lives, these people were not just sinning against God, he says. He says, they weren't offending me. They were sinning against you, against all of you. Okay? And so Paul says he, he equates it with them doing damage to the church. right? Because the church is a body. Right? So you all have a whole body. Now, what happens if you injure a member of your body? Right? Does it kind of make the rest of you kind of suffer and it's miserable, right? So a couple of years ago, probably not a couple, maybe, maybe nine years ago, I, I, I fell and I like sprained my ankle and it was really bad. And I had, to, I had to have crutches for the first time in my whole life. And I never used crutches before. And, and these did not fit right, apparently. And they did some damage to my nerves. And my wrist died. I walked around like this for six weeks, like that. You remember this, right? I was, I mean, I it looked cool when I drove, like this, you know. But I couldn't wave at anybody, so I always looked like a jerk because they would wave and I'd be like this, you know. And I had to go to physical therapy for six weeks to get my wrist to work again, right? And, and so I remember just being miserable. Like it seemed like all at once my, my wrist was dead and my ankle was messed up and I got the flu and it was like all in one week it all happened and I was just a miserable wreck and my body was suffering, right? So think about that when it comes to the church. When we talk about a member suffering and we bear each other's burdens, right? Then the rest of the body, if we're all cohesive and we're together the way that we should be, then the rest of us suffer along with that member of the body. But what about when a member of our body is suffering because of their own sin? Because they're living in sin and they're transgressing and they're, they're not being obedient to Christ. Does that make the rest of the body suffer? 
In a way, it should. Because bearing each other's burdens doesn't just mean when they're going through something, but when they're doing something that they shouldn't do. Right? So here's what it comes down to. Our Christianity is not just about ourselves. That's been one of the, I think, one of the devil's lies and tactics over the last few decades. Like, to make Christianity about you and your personal salvation and your ticket to heaven and, and then no one else, Matt, like, you worry about yourself and you worry about yourself and it's all that matters. And so we've become very, very individualistic within Christianity over the years, haven't we? But that's not the way that Christ designed it. The Bible says it's, it's, it's a body. Right? And so we function together and we live together and we breathe together and we, we, are, we operate together. And so all those things, is, <laughs> poor baby, she doesn't like my voice, I guess. It's just, she's hungry. I cry when I'm hungry too, so absolutely. It's okay. The whole body, if it's fitting together and working together, it's going to feel when something is wrong, right? And so it's not about us, just our own individual experience with God. It is a, that's a part of it. But it's also about how can we help each other, right? In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10, he says um, that we should provoke each other to love and to good works, right? Meaning our calling, part of our calling is, yes, we should focus on our faith and our relationship with God and our connection with God and how we are growing individually. That's important, right? But also, how are we provoking each other to follow Christ better? How are we pushing each other to love and to good works and to serving Christ better, right? And so we are in this together, and we have to be mindful of how each other is suffering or struggling or slipping away even from the faith. Now, I don't think that's happening in our presence today. I don't think that any of you are slipping away from the faith, you know, but I guess the point of this is that when that does happen or if that does happen, how are we going to work together as a church to pull that person back? To the faith, because that is an act of grace, right? It would be ungracious of us and unloving of us for us to see someone who is slipping away from the faith or, or diving into sin and just to let them go. How, how little love could you, like, would you have for a person to not care that they're throwing their faith away and throwing their life away, right? But if we genuinely love each other, like we talked about last week, we're going to care. It's, we're going to feel that when one of us begins to slip away from God or from their obedience to Christ in any way. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says that, he said not, not to put it too severely, but they've caused pain to all of you. They've hurt the body. And so the question then becomes, so what are you going to do about it? What response will you have? What's your reaction going to be? And so he says here in verse, in verse 6, for such a one, he says, this punishment by the majority is enough. Okay? He, so basically, in other words, what he's referring to is perhaps that that person's sin had been exposed eventually. And the whole church there in Corinth came to know what that person had been doing. Right? Now, imagine this. Okay? So, so think, think about all the sins that you have committed in your entire life. Okay? And some of them you're not proud of at all and you want to keep secret until you die. Right? Even beyond that. Um, now imagine that if, if I got a hold of that, of like a list of all the things that you've done wrong and I like projected it on the screen. And you, while you were here, how would you feel about that? Would you feel embarrassed, ashamed? You'd want to like hide under a pew like my kids do, right? Um, for different reasons. Like, so so if, if everyone knew 
your secrets and everyone knew what you were going, what you had done, that would make you feel awkward to say the least. Right. So, so then imagine this. And now, now that doesn't mean um, that, that that's why we should like, you know, like ignore what people are dealing with or what they're doing or, or not, not call out sin when we see it and things like that. We'll talk about that later. So this is what happened. This, this, these, these people, their sins were made um, public. The, the church was made aware of what they were doing for whatever. Maybe it was just because it was happening all around them. And everyone just kind of knew about it. Right. It's probably that. And so for whatever reason, or however it happened, the church came to know what they were doing wrong. And so Paul says, that is punishment enough for them to like have this sorrow and now feel remorse and conviction to say, I have sinned. You all know about it. I feel sorry to God. I feel sorry to you. He says that punishment by the majority, that's enough. They don't need any more punishment than that, right? And so, so like, it's not about... We make them feel ashamed or make them feel ridiculed, but it's about people being able to come to a point of confession and acknowledgement and repentance and say, I messed up and you all know I did and I'm sorry to God and I'm sorry to you. And that's where it all begins. And so he says there in verse six that that punishment by the majority is enough. And so he says in verse seven, so you should rather than turn to forgive and to comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Right? And so he says, here's what you do now. They've acknowledged their sin. They've confessed. They, they are repentant, right? They, they feel sorry for what they've done. You all know about it. So now don't shame them. Don't cast them away. Don't make them feel like they're worthless or that they're, they're not real Christians. Don't, don't call into question their salvation even. He says, forgive them and comfort them. Why? Because otherwise... He may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And excessive sorrow does not produce good fruit. It produces feelings of shame. It produces depression. It produces this abandonment of faith, right? And so he says, instead, comfort them and forgive them and show them grace in order to restore them. He goes on and he says, I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. To reaffirm. That word reaffirm means to confirm or to make valid again. Right? So like to say to this person, just so you know, like we really do love you and we care about you and we're not mad at you. Right? And we see your heart and we see your acknowledgement and we see your confession and we are here to help you with whatever you're struggling with. Because that's what a church does. And that's the extension of grace. That's what it means to be abundantly gracious. Right? And so our first key phrase there, forgiving and restoring, comes out like this. We extend grace to fellow believers and help them overcome their struggles. Right? So we care enough about them that we don't want to lose them from our faith. We don't want to lose them from God's family. We don't want to see them, you know, vanish and, and abandon what they knew to be true and how they were a part of us. We care too much about them to let them slip away. We show grace to them, not shame, not judgment, not criticism, not condemnation, not how dare you and what's wrong with you and how, what kind of Christian are you, but we're here to help you because we love you and we're showing you grace and we're showing you kindness. This whole passage that Paul is, where Paul is talking about this here is all about people seeing other people's sins 
caring about their spiritual condition out of true humility and true concern for them and then seeking to restore them out of abundant grace. Abundantly gracious means I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek to restore you, help you to, to, to get to the point where you're confessing and repenting and you're receiving forgiveness and you're being healed and recovered and brought back to Jesus. So how do we show that abundant grace within the church? So again, it's about this, uh, helping fellow believers to overcome their struggles, welcoming them back into the family of God and not casting them out. In 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 8, Peter says that love covers a multitude of sins. Okay? So not just love from God, but love from each other. So think about a time in your life when, when you, maybe in your marriage, for example, where you really messed up. I'm probably talking to the guys now, right? You really messed up, and you just, you know, your wife, like you deserve for her to hate you or to be mad at you or to want to kill you, right? And she probably did all those things. Um, you knew that you had it coming. But then, instead, she showed you grace, and she loved you, and she forgave you, right? How does that make you feel? How did that make you feel? Does it make you feel like, well, I'll just go do it again? No, it makes you feel like, I never want to do that again. Like, this makes me feel so appreciative of the grace and the love that I've been shown. And so that's a perfect example, that love that covers a multitude of sins right? Or your parenting journey. Have any of you ever had children who, when they grew up, they kind of just threw away all that you had taught them and abandoned their faith, your, your upbringing, like every value you tried to instill in them, but all you could do was just love them. And sometimes it was harsh love and really hard to love them, right? And sometimes you had to speak that truth in love towards them, not in a very loving voice. But that love, eventually, if it hasn't already happened, eventually it begins to, to change them and to mold them and bring them back to you. That patient love and that patient grace, right? So we've received that from God. And God calls us to, 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 to extend that to each other within the body of Christ. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, the writer of the Proverbs, he says, Love covers all offenses. Same words as Peter. Love covers everything, right? In Galatians 6, 1, he talks about how we are called to restore our brethren with gentle spirits and, and lovingly pulling them back to Christ. And then in James chapter 5, if you want to turn over to James chapter 5, I really want you to see this. It's after the book of, of Hebrews. In James 5, verses 19 and 20, I don't know if you've ever thought about how profound this is and how, how much this would require of us. James 5.19 says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So just notice again in verse 19 that James doesn't say, If anyone among you wanders from the truth, turn your back on him or cast him away. Or just assume that he really wasn't even a Christian and just let him go. Or make him feel condemned and judged and, and put all this pressure and guilt on him, right? He says if anyone wanders from the truth someone and someone brings him back, right? And so you reach out and you help bring people back. And that is an act of grace. Letting him know that, 
Whoever brings back a sinner, it says, from his wandering will save his soul from death. That's profound. That's huge. Like you're not just correcting his path, but you're saving his soul from death. And so it's our calling to be that concerned about each other's souls, and that is an act of grace. Not only that, we also see as you search the scriptures and look at the other New Testament writings, you see another way that we are called to be abundantly gracious towards other people, which I think applies more to us today than the first thing that I talked about. Because this has to do with our daily interactions with each other. And this has to do more with a church and, and how we relate to each other. Bearing, uh, being abundantly gracious also means that we have gracious patience and compassion in our hearts towards other people. As you read that, can you identify yourself in that statement? Do you, can you say, that's how I try to treat everybody? In my church, in my family, in my community, my friends, everybody, my coworkers. Do I have this gracious patience with other people? Do I have compassion in my heart towards other people? My heart towards other people. That's what it means to be abundantly gracious. There's an organization that I learned about not too long ago called Preemptive Love, and they have a website. Uh, preemptivelove.org, and, and there's, this is a, an organization, a Christian organization that, that provides care packages and, and um, supplies for refugees in Syria and the Middle East and things like that. They've also begun to do a lot of work at the border, um, the Mexican border, um, with, with the political refugees and the immigrants in Mexico and things like that. But they try to, so that's what they do on a global scale. But they also have this simple motto that they promote and, and so they try to encourage people it, to, to get involved with this motto in, in, in their daily lives, in their own context, in their own world, even if they're not helping refugees in Syria or children at the border or things like that. And that motto is just two words, love anyway. Just love anyway. And so their whole philosophy is when it's hard or when they are people who you might not want to love or who no one else loves or when they're hard to get to, or when it might cost you a lot, or it might be uncomfortable, just love anyway. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know what, that kind of applies to a church, right? This church, you know, we like to say a church is a family. But you all know that even in your biological family, you don't always like the people that you're in your family with, right? Sometimes you can't stand them. Sometimes you want them around. Sometimes you're ready for them to leave. You know, no, that's not talking about you. Don't leave. I'm trying to get him to move here, but he won't listen to me. They don't want to be this down here. Took him to the river and everything. Showed him, this is beautiful. You should be here. Anyway, the fact is the same thing goes for a church. We don't always get along easily, do we? We don't always naturally like each other, do we? But for whatever reason, God brought us all together and put us in the same body. And so I think that love anyway should kind of be the motto of, of us as a church, you know, like, like even when I don't get along with that person or even when that person kind of annoys me or even when it, it's time consuming, I'm going to love anyway. And that's an example of abundant grace, right? Like someone has been patient with me. God has been patient with me. Someone has shown me compassion and kindness, even when I was probably a burden, that's gracious. And so I'm going to extend that same amount of grace towards the rest of the people around me. I'm going to love them anyway. I'm going to be gracious anyway, even when it's hard, even when I don't feel like it. Being gracious means being patient. It means being compassionate. In Romans 12.10, Paul says that it has to do with outdoing one another in showing honor. 
right? Now, if you want um, to be really, really good at something and better at everyone else than something, let that be the thing that you pursue. Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor to other people. Like, how kind can you possibly be today? How much honor can you show a person today? How much good can you do for a person today? See if you can beat yesterday's record, right? Like when we show honor to each other, even when we don't feel like it, or even when we don't really, you know, particularly always like that person, that's an example of that grace flowing out of us. So it all brings me down to this question that kind of, you know, is, is the question every single week when I go through these qualities. Why is this important? Right, so like I've studied the scriptures and I know what the Bible teaches, but when it comes to our profile and what we're trying to present as far as our Christianity, why is this one important? Why does it matter to the rest of the world that we are abundantly gracious? Well, think about what it shows to the world when we as Christians take care of each other, take care of our own, and we treat each other with restorative grace. It shows the rest of the world that we care about people and not just religion. And isn't that what they need to see more of these days? People who genuinely care about other people and not just their religion and their doctrine and their theology. Don't get me wrong. Doctrine and theology are important, but they're not more important than people. But also, why it's important, it demonstrates to the world that we are a people of grace, not rigid and cold judgment or self-centered spirituality right? Have you ever met a Christian who you would say, there's no grace in that person? Like, they're just rigid and cold, and they're kind of, kind of a jerk. We don't want to be like that, right? We want to show the world that God's people are gracious and loving and kind. That doesn't mean that we ignore sin or just downplay it and pretend like it doesn't exist or change the rules. It doesn't mean that. It means that we show grace and not judgment and condemnation. Thirdly, it lets people know that there's hope for them too, and everyone needs that, right? Everyone needs hope. I've encountered a lot of people in my lifetime who have said something along the lines of, I've messed up way too much and my life is, is messed up and broken and I've made way too many mistakes and there's, there's no way that I can ever go back to God or that God will ever accept me. Or, you know, they, a lot of people that I've met don't even feel like they have the, the right to pray to God, to even ask for forgiveness because of how much they've messed up. And that's where there needs to be this infusion of grace. And maybe that's where God is leading you to, to pour that grace into that, right? And then the last thing, forgiving each other, restoring each other, reaching out to bring people back out of their sin, showing people kindness and grace and patience within the church body, all that, that's a gospel move. Like that kind of behavior is a picture of the gospel. The gospel that, that God went out of his way, sent Jesus' his only son to do something drastic for us when he didn't have to. He could have just left us in our sins and said, well, they're all messed up. So long, so much for that idea. You know, like he, he didn't have to do that. And then Jesus, you know, when he was in the garden and ready to be arrested, he had that brief little moment where he said, if it's at all possible, take this cup from me. Like, just imagine this. Can you imagine if in that moment Jesus decided, I don't want to do this anymore, I don't want to die, and God said, okay, fine, come back home, where would we be right now? We'd have no hope, right? But think about the grace and the kindness that God showed us through Jesus when he took his place on that cross for us. So our efforts, our attempts at showing grace to each other, that's a gospel move. It shows a picture of the gospel 
to the world. And that's the story that we need to be telling with our lives. Amen? I want to leave you with two challenges today. Very simple things for you to take home with you and think about and pray over and maybe put into practice. The first one is this. I want you to ask God to create in you an attitude of grace towards all people. And where maybe that's lacking or it's not as strong as it could be, ask God to to build that up and to strengthen that. Ask God to help you to show grace to especially the difficult people in your life. Ask Him to help you to love anyway, to show grace anyway. And then the second thing is this. Remember how easy it is to fall away into sin and remember how much you've been forgiven, how much love you've been shown. And so if you know someone who's struggling or you see someone stepping too far into sin, ask God what He wants you to do about that and don't forget to show grace. We're here for each other, right? When someone comes to you and they confess to you that they're struggling with some kind of sin, right? They confess to you that they've messed up in some big way. What's your first reaction going to be? You're going to feel shock, disappointment, and disgust, right? I remember when I was working in juvenile probation when I first moved here, and after the first year, I had heard like every story you can imagine, every possible thing that a person could do, you can imagine, happened like in the first year. And after that, it was just like, it's not new. And, and kids would, I would sit with kids and interview them, and they would tell me, there are things that I've done that I don't want to tell you. And I'd say, I want you to believe me when I say I've heard everything, and nothing that you tell me will surprise me or shock me. And I will help you do whatever it is that you have to say. And that opened the door, right? And so showing grace means I see what you're saying, and I care, and I, yes, that is wrong, and that is bad, and we should fix that. But I'm going to show you grace and care enough to help you with that. Because I would want the same thing for myself, for some, from someone else. So those are our challenges today. Um, ask God to give you a heart full of grace and remember how much grace you've been shown to maybe compel you to show that grace to other people. Let's stand and we'll get ready to sing one last song. We're going to be on page 433 if you want to grab your book. I surrender all. Maybe this is a good time for you to surrender everything to God and ask him what he wants to do in your heart. So let me pray as we get ready to sing. Father, we thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you for your amazing love, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your abundant grace. Please help us to be gracious people, Lord, to make a difference in this world with how we live out the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.